0: Practical Law In-House Podcast, an interview series brought to you by Thomson Reuters. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Tyra Lee Chillog. I have spent more than a decade working as an in-house lawyer, and I'm now the head of in-house for the Practical Law team in Australia. In this series, you'll be hearing from a variety of in-house counsel at different stages of their careers as they take us along the story of their journey to becoming an in-house lawyer. And in the spirit of practical law, we ask them to share their experiences and insights into what it takes to be an effective in house lawyer. Let's meet our guest. Today we're talking to Michelle Dillon. Michelle's role is the head of legal and human resources across Asia Pacific for Verifone, a US headquartered multinational corporation operating in over 150 countries and supporting over 10.3 billion commerce transactions annually. Michelle studied in the UK, has worked in Hong Kong and Australia, and has an impressive mix of private practice, consulting, and in-house roles on her CV, spanning the likes of Ashurst, Qantas, and IBM, to name just a few. In her more than 25-year career, Michelle has held a variety of roles, travelled the world, and raised a family. Michelle and I go way back, having worked together for several years, earlier on in our careers. Let's hear how she does it all and what she's learned along the way. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle, and thanks for being our very first interview. Thanks, Lee, for having me here today. Let's begin with the beginning of your career. Where and what did you study?
1: So, Lee, I grew up in the UK, in England, and I went to Coventry University where I studied business law. And after completing that degree, I spent a year at Guildford, at Guildford Law School, where I completed the solicitor's final examinations.
0: So from finishing your studies in the UK, what took you to Hong Kong? So
1: I did what was very, what is very common and took a year off to go um, travelling around the world. So I spent most of the year backpacking, Uh, six months of that I spent in Australia and then travelled through Asia. The last stop before I went back to London to start my articles was in Hong Kong where I was spending two weeks, but actually ended up living there for seven years. So After the two weeks, I decided Hong Kong was uh, a very interesting place to be at the time. It was booming commercially and there were a lot of opportunities. So I took that opportunity to work in one of the big London law firms there for a couple of months as a paralegal, which then turned into one year and then turned into two years articles and seven years in Hong Kong.
0: So Michelle, what was it like to practice in Hong Kong?
1: It was an exciting time when I was there in the 90s. It was um, still under British rule and it was very busy and commercially uh, there was a lot of activity. So it was a great place to gain experience from both a legal and a commercial perspective. And I left Hong Kong just before the handover. Coincidentally, uh, I met my husband in Hong Kong, who is Australian, which is why I ended up back in Australia. And an opportunity arose for us to return to Australia.
0: We're very glad to have you back here, especially talking to us today. So, Michelle, how did you make the decision to step into an in-house role?
1: It was something to really that I had been thinking about for quite a while. I'd spent a lot of years in private practice, especially in the commercial area, and had dealt with a lot of transactional commercial deals. And it was something that was of interest to me. So it was something, as I said, I had been wanting to do for quite a while. And when the opportunity arose to make the transition, I was very excited to be able to do so.
0: And how did you make the transition from that sort of private practice, corporate commercial (coughs) background and IP to then doing IT law? So
1: it happened almost accidentally. The opportunity that arose for me to move in-house was through a um, medium-sized Australian business that specialised in data centres and um, as, as a result I joined them because it was something that would be of interest, but also, to be perfectly honest, fitted into where I was at that stage in my life, having had four years out of the profession, having had a couple of children. So it seemed to to fit and how I made the transition was by being flexible and I think that that is the theme that you'll hear through discussions with me that I think the key to success in um, the professional world these days as a lawyer is to be flexible in your um, commercial relationships, your professional relationships and ability to adapt to your
0: different surroundings, which aren't always the traditional law firm surroundings these days. So let's talk about the business side of things. So the the modern general counsel is required to have a high degree of business acumen. So how have you developed that skill over time.
1: Through relationships, how you actually get access within the business to the meetings, to the people, to the conversations that will teach you and provide you with the business acumen is to have the relationships where the business actually wants the lawyer in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that, you need to develop good relationships where you're not only seen just as a lawyer, but also as a true business partner and trusted advisor.
0: And so how do you, I think you and I have both seen this, so how do you you engage with the business? How do you build that trust with them?
1: By making them realise that I'm here to help and to get the deal done, to support them, not to be the stopper, which often legal is perceived to be the, um, you know, the, the gate that stops deals happening. So it's very important to make the business understand that you're there for them to support them, not to stop them. And once you've earned that trust, you find that you are welcomed and
0: involved and your advice is asked for. So turning to your current role at Verifone, what does a typical day look like for you? So there isn't a typical day. We say at
1: Verifone there is never a dull day and there is never a typical day, especially as I cover the um, t- entire Asia-Pacific region, both from legal and HR perspective. So my day will involve um, working on and meetings with many different countries on many different matters. So it is very interesting and that is is one of the things that I like about my job that it's not sitting there in a traditional legal function, reviewing document after document.
0: So um, you mentioned your role covers uh, head of legal and um, head of HR as well. So I want to ask you about how that works. So I think we often see the head of legal and the head of compliance or the head of human resources roles being combined in Australia. In your case, how do you practically wear the legal and the HR hat and, and how do you manage the conflicts that that must cause from time to time? It's
1: challenging and it's difficult, especially as I am a lawyer. I've spent many years being a lawyer and the HR role has only come to me in the last couple of years. So I'm still learning, to be honest, about Mm -hmm. the HR side. What I also find challenging is that as the lawyer and as the trusted business advisor, the business is more willing to listen and respect advice that is given. As the HR business partner the business has more flexibility to make its own decisions. So whilst it might take feedback um, and listen to advice, it has more decision-making power, if you like. And sometimes that can be challenging when, on one hand, you're being listened to differently as a lawyer than you are when you're the HR business partner.
0: And it must be challenging as well to have so many different jurisdictions within the remit of your role. So how do you sort of manage to get around to to each of those? And do you you must have to travel an awful lot.
1: Yes, I do. I have a a small team. I have a a lawyer in India who covers South Asia and I have two HR managers, one in India who covers South Asia and one in Singapore who covers the other Asian countries. The HR manager in India also covers Australia and New Zealand and they deal with more of the operational side. My, My role in HR is more from a strategic planning side. It's interesting covering... Asia Pacific, it makes a very long day. So my day starts with New Zealand is two hours ahead and finishes with India, which is four and a half hours behind. And then plus overnight, I have all the emails and contact from the US. So it is a, a very long day. Again, flexible, you need to be flexible, you need to be able to join calls at all times of the day or sometimes the night. It also involves a lot of travel, mostly within Asia. I think the key to that though is, I I admit, I enjoy my travel. A lot of people say they don't, but that is because I make sure that the travel is um, not just about work. It's also about fun and developing relationships within the business. So on my travels, I also spend a lot of time socializing with the teams in whichever country I'm in. And to me, that's how I measure success, not just by the role or the title I have or how big my team is, but also how much I enjoy my job, how much I want to get up in the morning and go to work and the relationships that I have developed in the course of my career.
0: So since you said you have quite a small team, how do you manage all the legal work that has to happen across so many jurisdictions, across so many time zones? Do you find yourself outsourcing quite a bit? I try not to outsource too
1: much as we do have a global budget for that and are measured on it. However, there are certain circumstances where I do have to outsource. So for the from the commercial side for the deals, it's like a lot of the major US companies that's all han- handled in-house. But for mainly employment or acquisition or litigation, then yes, I definitely do outsource. And The real need for an outsourced law firm to help me is for their expertise in a particular area. So, from my perspective, I don't need to outsource for general legal advice or to help on a commercial matter, but if it is specific to a jurisdiction in relation to, for example, an employment matter or an acquisition, then that is where I would seek to rely on an external law firm and also from a re- regulatory perspective. So, where we're looking at setting up a new part of the business or a new service that will be governed by financial regulations, for example, that's when I would look for that expertise from an external law firm. Needs, sorry, needs to be somebody who is is a genuine expert and is known within the profession for having that expertise.
0: And how do you choose which firm you're going to brief? What What is it that you look for when you're briefing out work? We
1: have a global arrangement. Um, so the first starting point is to go to that firm. However, if, for example, I'm looking for specific re- regulatory advice, I will look to another firm which is well known in the industry for providing that advice. Even saying that, if I do use the law firm, which is part of our global arrangement, I do have the freedom, if I'm not particularly happy with uh, the advice I'm given, to look elsewhere.
0: And are there any specific attributes that you look for in external counsel?
1: So when I'm choosing the external counsel, I'm looking for lawyers that are commercially minded. I think these days in-house counsel don't need the war and peace, they don't need the thesis with the lengthy legal explanation, they need more of an executive summary, obviously with a certain amount of detail. So that is what I'm looking for mostly when I first engage with an external lawyer to ensure that we're on the same page, if you like, commercially.
0: Did you know the In-House Centre on Practical Law has loads of useful resources specifically for in-house lawyers? From ready-to-use legal training presentations, to workflow and approval templates, to guides for managing your legal team's needs and helping them develop, you can find resources to make your work life more efficient and effective on practical law. Michelle, I want to ask you, you've been in a very senior legal role for several years now and you are part of the corporate executive management team for Verifone. The concept of having a seat at the table is critical for a general counsel to be in a position to actually help shape and guide the corporate client. How do you use your role and your skills to do this? Well, Terrilee, first of
1: all, you actually have to get to that seat at the table and that's not always an easy path. It comes, in my experience, again, back down to relationships, being flexible and being seen as more uh, than just a lawyer who is going to be sitting at the table. So for me, I have found that through the relationships, I have been given that seat. I would say, I, I would like to point out that I work in a very male-dominated industry. The fintech tends to be that way, especially with US companies based out of San Jose, So, if you look at any of the um, corporate executive teams in most of these companies, you'll find that there's usually only one woman that sits on that team and usually holds the role of legal or HR. So, here I am. Or both 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 of them. them. Yes, Yes, that's right. So... I have gained that seat at the table, both um, at uh, Australia New Zealand level and also as the, at the executive level for Asia Pacific. I'm also the only woman sitting at that table and the longest standing executive in Asia Pacific for Verifone. So over the years, I have learned how to make a difference by being at that table and that is by contributing. So just having the seat isn't enough. You won't be considered as a valuable member of that team unless you are contributing and in a way, in my view, other than just as a lawyer. So it comes through your commercial acumen, having learnt that, again, through flexibility and relationships, but also about continuously improving yourself. So you you should never get to a point in your career where you stop wanting to learn. So for example, I'm at the moment um, involved with the Australian Institute of Directors. I'm doing some courses there and doing their foundation course. If I actually have the time, I'd love to do the Mm -hmm. full director's course. I'm covering areas that aren't traditionally for lawyers, such as strategy or risk mitigation, which I would argue is an area for lawyers. But one of the areas I'm also focusing on is the finance side, I think, as lawyers... Some of us, I don't want to speak on behalf of all of us, but mm-hmm. some of us aren't particularly that great with numbers. So I'm I'm trying to continually learn. And from that learning, I have more to offer when I'm actually sitting at the table. So to be taken seriously, to get your seat, but then you need to contribute once you're there.
0: Taking a step back, the role that you took at Verifone was your very first general counsel role. That's a big responsibility. How did you go about sort of stepping up if you like from being a senior in-house counsel to being the general counsel?
1: Well, I think the way my career at Verifone started is probably somewhat different from a lot of general counsel's roles in that I was the first legal counsel for Verifone in Asia Pacific. So when I joined, I was basically given an office with a desk and a laptop and asked to make it as I wanted to make it. Which for me was the best way I could start, but I had no handover. I had no precedence to rely on. But because I had been working in-house for quite a few years, I had the experience. I had the IT experience. I had the confidence of the deals. And once again, I'll harp back to that relationship and flexibility. That I think is what helped me in the beginning. I learned my way and then I started building a team. And it just came naturally, to be honest. and. As a result, here I am almost 7 years later with with my team looking after Asia Pacific still. So,
0: so talking about teams and setting up legal departments and obviously in your case across a wide jurisdiction, how do you manage that on a day-to-day basis? Do you have any, you know, technology that you utilize and how do, how do you go about that? So, communication
1: obviously is the key. I have weekly one-to-ones with each of my team members and my preference is to do that through video conferencing I think that when you're in different countries video conferencing is a great way to have a conversation where you feel that you're almost in the room together so I am very disciplined about that also my team know they can contact me anytime I'm a huge user of WhatsApp And um, we do have WhatsApp groups. uh, And so that is another way that we communicate regularly. We also use a contract management tool where we're able to all work on a document together, share documents. If, If someone has to do a presentation, they can go in and find the presentations that other people have done. So it all comes down just to close communication.
0: So turning then to advice, Michelle, what is the best career advice that you've ever received? I'm not sure if it's
1: the best, but it's the one that I remember the most that I received a few years ago um, when I was participating in a Next Generation of Female Leaders program that was sponsored by a bank here. And the advice was, and if you think about it, it actually does work. I was told that there are only two out of three things you need to do to be successful. And if you do two out of those three in any combination it will work. Those three things are to deliver excellent work, deliver on time and be a pleasure to deal with. So you can deliver excellent work and be a pleasure to deal with but you might not always be on time but you'll be forgiven for that. You can deliver excellent work, deliver on time and maybe not be so nice to deal with, but people will respect you and you'll be successful because of the level of your work. You can also deliver on time and be a pleasure to deal with and maybe your work's good, but not perfect. Again, you'll still find that you will be recognised and accepted and successful. So I've thought about that a lot. I've applied those, those different scenarios often. And to me, I think that is very good advice.
0: So on the topic of advice, you and I have spoken a lot over the years about the challenges of having a family and a substantial career or careers in the household. And the concept of a career break can be a scary thing for many lawyers, You took a career break for four years when your children were born and clearly it hasn't stopped you from having a very successful career. So I'm wondering for the lawyers who are listening, who are sort of contemplating that perhaps for a variety of reasons, how did that break ultimately shape your career?
1: I think there's no doubt that when you take a break, obviously you're taking some time out of your career and therefore there will be a certain level of reset when you re-enter I I was very lucky. Just before I went on maternity leave, I came across professionally a lady lawyer who had taken seven years off. And she said that she did not have any worries at any point during that time because she had absolute confidence that she would be able to get back into the legal career. So I I took on board what she said. And I, I also had the confidence that no matter how long, I would be able to get back into the legal career. However, it might not be the traditional path of, you know, senior associate working towards a partnership. So... When you do take some time off, yes, maybe you are having to go backwards a little bit. And as I said, you know, I went from working at one of the major law firms to four years off to working part-time at a medium-sized business in Australia, which then led me to the rest of my career. But I never had any doubt or any worries during that time that I wouldn't still be able to continue my career when I chose to go back. And I think that it's really important to keep that confidence and to enjoy your time off, and then be ready to go back when you feel it's right for you.
0: And finally, what career advice would you provide to law graduates or maybe some junior lawyers who are listening with hopes and dreams of becoming a general counsel one day? My advice? Okay, having um, having been a general counsel,
1: having worked in-house, my advice is, first of all, if you're looking at going in-house, to think about what industry you want to work in, what interests you. You'll find your job far more interesting if you're working in an industry that you have a passion for. And whilst I didn't know I had a passion for IT, once I accidentally ended up in that industry, I I grew to have a passion and IT is something that I am very passionate about. So I would urge the younger lawyers to think about what area they would like to work in and then try and find experience in that area. So for me, if I'm hiring, I will not be looking to hire a lawyer who has not got IT experience so if that's the area you want to go in, try within your, your law firm to get that experience. If it's pharmaceuticals, try and find a way to get some of that experience, because I think that to move into an in-house position that will allow you to progress to be a general counsel, you need to have had at least some experience in, in that industry.
0: Michelle, we really enjoyed meeting you today and sharing your career journey. Thanks for joining us for our very first episode of the Practical Law In-House podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more interviews with in-house counsel over on the in-house centre at Practical Law Online. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us again next time.